Merry Christmas again, and uh, welcome to Christmas Eve at Gateway. You know, sometimes we miss what should be obvious. We're close to it, we're smart enough, we have enough information, but we miss it. I want you to listen to a, a diary entry, a couple of diary entries from the most famous diarist in the whole world, at least in the English language, and he's famous because of these diary entries. Samuel Pepys was his name, and his diary read, March 1, 1661, to the opera, and there saw for the first time it was ever acted a play of itself, the worst that I ever heard in my life, and the worst ever acted by these people. And then sometime later, September 29, 1662, Pepys attended another performance by the same playwright. His commentary read, the most insipid, ridiculous play that I ever saw in my life, the plays he was describing, by the way, were the London premieres of Romeo and Juliet and Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare. Sometimes we just miss it through bias or through ignorance or through alternative motivations or pride or busyness. Whatever the reason, sometimes we miss it. And it's not lack of information, at least not usually. There was an interesting prototype that was uh, displayed, an invention that was displayed for the first time, demonstrated at the uh, World's Fair in 1939, and the New York Times reviewer the next day read like this. He was unimpressed. The problem with this invention is that the people must sit and keep their eyes glued on a screen. The average American family simply hasn't had t doesn't have time for it and never will. He was, of course, reviewing the invention of television. And when we miss it, usually it's not a matter of intelligence. For example, at the very time that Orville and Wilbur Wright were flying their airplane in 1903, the astronomer, the scientist, brilliant man, Simon Newcomb, was confidently concluding a scientific article in which he demonstrated that, quote, no possible combination of known substances, known forms of machinery, known forms of force can be united in a practical machine by which men shall fly long distances through the air. This seems to the writer as complete as it's possible for the demonstration of any physical fact to be. Sometimes, regardless of how intelligent we are, we simply miss it. Many people missed it that first Christmas night. Caesar missed it. He was far away, but I, I suspect that even if Caesar had been close, he would have missed it. It would have required humility. I don't think so. Herod was closer, but he missed it too. He missed it out of jealousy or hubris, insecurity, who knows. The religious leaders who spent their lives looking for it, they missed it. They had studied it. They were hoping for it. Well, they were hoping for what they hoped it would be. They were hoping for their version of it. They missed it. I've often said uh, here at Gateway that we are the kind of people who like our lives, we just like them to be, you know, a little better, a tweak here or there, and if we could add religion to what we've got and make it better, well, that's a good deal. But that's not a deal that God is willing to make. God asks for commitment, all-in devotion, sometimes sacrifice. We often don't want that deal, and we miss it. The religious leaders didn't want the deal that God was offering, so they missed it. And the townspeople were very close, but they missed it. The innkeeper was right next door, and as far as we know, he missed it completely. They missed what some believe to be the most significant event in human history. Some believe they missed the, the human birth of God, the eternal Son. 
All the writers of the New Testament believe this, and they gave their lives for it. I believe it too. And I want to do my best tonight to make sure that no one here misses it. So let me offer up quickly a little bit about what Jesus wasn't, and then a a small part of what he was. Number one, Jesus wasn't nobility. He was from very modest means. Consider the circumstances surrounding his birth. This was hardly a royal birthing experience. His family background was interesting at best, and some considered it scandalous. Actually, his whole life was spent in very modest circumstances, and both his birth and his death were in the company of outcasts and criminals. I mean, shepherds were bottom feeders in society. They were considered ceremonially unclean, and these were the attendants at his birth. Jesus wasn't nobility, so he was easy to miss. Secondly, Jesus wasn't a celebrity, at least not until very late in his life, and even then his celebrity was very, very different from, you know, from Caesar or from Herod even. Jesus was, was famous in a, in a very limited one small part of the ancient Near East, and even there he was really notorious more than he was famous. And again, consider the first witnesses, the people at his birth, there were very few, and even those that were there were somewhat unsavory. Jesus wasn't a celebrity, so he was easy to miss. Jesus third, Jesus wasn't military might. Now, this may be more than anything else, the thing that made him missable to his audience. This was certainly what many who were expecting the Jewish Messiah believed that Jesus would be. But Jesus wasn't this. Look at the clues of his life. He wasn't born to a military family or heritage. His birth announcement was a proclamation of peace. (laughs) And the shepherds. We're given signs to look for the one who was to be born. And all of the signs were signs of meekness and humility, not not signs of military might. He had no military training that we know of. He never tried to marshal an army of any kind. And later in his life, he resisted calls to make himself king. In fact, he fled from those calls. He preached peace. and, And he had very, very little, if anything, to ever say about politics. Jesus wasn't nobility. He wasn't a celebrity, and he wasn't military might, so he was easy to miss. Well, what is he if he wasn't those things? Again, let's just mention two that I think are very pertinent for us tonight. Number one, Jesus is Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. God saves. Hey, Joseph, the angel said, call your son God saves. Now, we don't think we need a Savior, honestly. Much of the effort of our lives is spent in a self-salvation project, securing our future, establishing ourselves, building our family, identifying and pursuing our best options, even pursuing religion. We're working on our own behalf toward our own salvation. And then sometimes things go sideways, don't they? Or we feel out of sync, or we, we feel disconnected from our purpose and from our meaning. So we try something different but it's all rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. Look, we are at odds with God and with ourselves, at least the best part of ourselves, and that's our problem. The Bible calls that sin. And it tells us we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything about our main problem. Not in our own power. We need a Savior, and Jesus is Savior. 
Second thing we need to know about Jesus is Jesus' love. This is the part we like. Love. We get this part. But even here, Jesus is a little bit askew of our expectations. You see, we want to be loved because because of our attractiveness or because of our cleverness or because of our accomplishments, but Jesus loves us in spite of, in spite of even our best efforts. So the wonderful things we, we tend to think about ourselves that we think recommend us, our, our, the best parts of our resume, Jesus is unimpressed. However, this also means that the terrible things we think about ourselves, he doesn't agree. Those times when we think, oh, I've blown it, I'm awful. Jesus thinks, sometimes you don't get it, but I sure do love you. I read a story some years ago by a mom that was in one of those family magazines, and I I told myself, someday I'm going to read this on Christmas Eve. Well, this is that day. So let me read this for you if I can. Each December, I vowed to make Christmas a calm and peaceful experience. This past year, I had cut back on non-essential obligations, extensive card writing, endless baking, decorating, and even overspending. Yet still, I found myself exhausted, unable to appreciate the precious family moments and, of course, the true meaning of Christmas. My son, Nicholas, was in kindergarten that year. It was an exciting season for a six-year-old. For weeks, he'd been memorizing songs for his school's winter pageant. I didn't have the heart to tell him I'd be working the night of the production. Well, unwilling to miss his shining moment, I spoke with his teacher. She assured me there'd be a dress rehearsal the morning of the presentation. All the parents unable to attend that evening were welcome to come then. Fortunately, Nicholas seemed happy with the compromise. So the morning of the dress rehearsal, I filed in 10 minutes early, found a spot on the cafeteria floor and sat down. Around the room, I saw several other parents quietly scampering to their seats. As I waited, the students were led into the room, each class accompanied by their teacher. They sat cross-legged on the floor. Then each group, one by one, rose to perform their song. Because the public school system had long stopped referring to the holiday as Christmas, I didn't expect anything other than fun commercial entertainment songs. You know, reindeer, Santa Claus, snowflakes, and good cheer. So when my son's class rose to sing Christmas Love, I was slightly taken aback by its bold title. Nicholas was aglow, as were all of his classmates adorned in fuzzy mittens and red sweaters and bright snow caps upon their heads. Those in the front row, center stage, held up large letters, one by one, to spell out the title of the song. And as as the class would sing, C is for Christmas, a child would hold up the letter C. Then H is for happy, and a child would hold up the letter H, etc., until the entire message, the complete message had been presented, Christmas love. The performance was going smoothly until suddenly we noticed her. A small, quiet girl in the front row holding the letter M upside down. Totally unaware her letter M had appeared as a W. The audience of first through sixth graders snickered at this little one's mistake, but she had no idea they were laughing at her, so she stood tall, proudly holding up her W. Although many teachers tried to shush the children, the laughter continued until the last letter was raised, And then we saw it together. A hush came over the audience and eyes began to widen. In that instant, we understood the reason we were there and why we celebrated the holiday in the first place. Why, even in the chaos, there was a purpose for our festivities. For when the last letter was held high, the message read loud and clear, Christ was love. Think about how incredible it is that the one that we worship made himself missable Think of the humility 
Think of the approachableness. One of Jesus' first followers, the Apostle Paul, described it like this in his letter to a group of Christians in Philippi. He said, Him who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So humble, so approachable. Jesus was easy to miss. He still is, especially for people who are informed and intelligent and sophisticated and busy suburbanites. Don't miss him tonight. He's love, and you need that. And he's Savior, and you need that even more. Let me pray. Father, we, uh, we acknowledge tonight that we have been missing you this week. We've missed signs of your presence and our hurry and our anger and our distraction. And tonight, Lord Jesus, we don't want to miss you. I pray through our time together that you have broken open our chests and you have worked yourself in. That tonight, Lord, we would remember our Savior born in Bethlehem, our Redeemer, the one we most need. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.